You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Well, hello. Hey, how are you feeling? Feeling all right. Feeling pretty good. Getting back into the groove of things. Nice. Yeah. And today we're actually going to be chatting with Harper the Fox. Awesome name. Yes. And you weren't here the last time Harper was on the program, but Harper is a performer and a digital entrepreneur. And her unedited sex tapes feature her having real loving sex with her partner of about, I think, 10 years now, because I think it was around seven years the last time we talked. And I definitely recommend you go back and listen to the old episode with Harper because... In our last conversation, she shared like just kind of really unique insights into camming, into porn. She's also a poet. I think she talked about how to use toilet paper rolls as sex dolls. There was a lot of <laughs> a lot of conversation there. So she's she's coming back to update us on her work post pregnancy because she just had a baby like two weeks ago. I'm very intrigued on multiple levels here. I'm still going back to thinking about the sex dolls, toilet paper rolls. So I will need to revisit that podcast absolutely yeah so uh, before harper joins us i wanted to talk about a topic that has come up in a couple of my recent interviews and then when i've posted about it i've received a lot of uh what would be the word passionate (laughs) response from folks around going to bed angry well tell me more i'm (laughs) not really sure where to take this thanks charles (laughs) Um, so basically we started with this conversation around is there any truth to the phrase, never go to sleep angry at your partner, or is it a myth? And so I was thinking about our relationship. We've definitely gone to bed angry. Yeah, I've tried not to go to bed angry. I feel like we've, I've tried to rectify an issue, but I still am angry when I go to bed. It doesn't happen very often, but it it has happened. Not anymore, but I think back, like we used to fight at night. Do you remember that? We still do fight at night. It, it just tends to happen. And, and actually, that's something I actually probably reflect on. Why do I start fights or why do I get into arguments late at night? I don't feel like it happens as much as of late. But I remember like a time where it would be, and I mean, I know why. I, I don't know why. I think I know why we fought at night. Like that's when you come together. Yes. It was the only time we had privacy, right? Like we're yes. downstairs in the living room. My dad's yeah. there. The dining room, my dad's there. The office, my dad's there. Like you just. Go into the bedroom and you can whisper, argue, <laughs> whisper. There's something awful about like yelling at someone, but whispering. It's an art. It's, it's, it it's feels a, very Canadian. I am so angry right now. <laughs> can you not hear the slight increase in the level of my whisper? Yeah. So I was thinking about the fact that like we have this idea that you're never supposed to go to bed angry. And in this interview, I was talking about the fact that you're going to go to bed angry at times and it's okay because I think some feelings can be soothed in an evening and others can remain for some time. And, And the thing about the end of the day is that it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, now we wrap up our feelings. And so you're sometimes still going to be upset. But my thought or my, I guess, I guess I try and avoid the word advice, but my thought is that Even if you're angry, it doesn't mean you need to be fully disconnected, right? Like, can you still kiss goodnight? Can you still hold hands? Can you still can you still say I love you, even if there's an unfinished argument? And and I think this is really important because we know that these positive expressions of love can help to offset the potentially, you know, negative effects of conflict. And I think that you are pretty good about this. Like you'll always kiss me goodnight. But that's out of a fear. You do know that. That I won't wake up. Yeah. Or a fear that if I kick the bucket in my sleep, the last thing that I would have had said to you is something that 
is, is an argument or, or something. So, I mean, if I had to be vulnerable and open, that's what it is. It's, it's born out of a fear of that being the final thing that I say. Okay. So I totally thought it was because you're just so committed to pushing through the discomfort. <laughs> well, no, that, there is that too. I do feel like I want to push through the discomfort and fix the problem. I, I like to fix things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't always fix things. And But there's a real difference between you and me because you can fall asleep angry. I'm like, I can barely fall asleep on a good day. Yeah. Like we know humidity, yeah. light. <laughs> atmospheric pressure must be perfect for me to fall asleep so it becomes this this challenge so i was thinking about you know some of the language around what can you say to your partner if you can't resolve the fight especially when you're overtired because we know that if you're sleep deprived if you're exhausted if you're worked up all of those things interfere with your ability to be rational to be empathetic to communicate (laughs) clearly (laughs) so I i had written these scripts for some clients around you know being able to say i'm really pissed off and I really love you. Can we set aside some time to talk about this tomorrow? Or something like, you know, I'm really angry and I know I need to calm down. I know a good night's sleep is going to help. I want you to know that even though I don't want to continue this conversation right now, it's not an indication that I don't care. I actually want to come back to this conversation in a better headspace. I'm smiling when you're saying that because I think it can be said. Can you imagine in an argument where if, if I was like, I really think we need to, co- I need to come back to this at another time. It's, you know, the passive aggressive voice, but I have used some of those lines in the arguments where I'm, I'm like, I care about you. I want to resolve this. I don't feel like I can do it right now. And I want you to know that I'm willing to take and set aside time tomorrow to do that. And even when I say those words, even though it sounds weird when I'm saying them, I know that, and I know that you know that they're said with sincerity. And I think because of that, it seems as though even if we can't resolve the argument, there's a willingness to try and go to sleep and try to revisit it. Yeah. And you do that during the day too. Like if we are in an argument and you need space and I don't want to give you space, (laughs) you always say like, I need, and you always tell me how long, like you'll always be like, oh, I need about an hour to calm myself down or something like that. And I think that really helps to kind of assuage any, any fears of abandonment, right? Like, Mm. so it's so easy for me to tell myself the story that he's walking away from this argument because he doesn't care. He's walking away from this argument because he's prioritizing work over this argument or over me. But when you say like, like, I love you and we're going to get back to this, or I just I need to clear my head or I need to go for a walk just communicating what you're doing and your intent I guess affects how how I interpret it and so the big thing is that I'm hearing from couples in response to this this interview I did trying to get me to say like well which one is it should we hash out the argument in the moment so that it doesn't fester or should we take a break and sleep on it to gain some clarity and I mean, unfortunately, I don't have an answer. I think it really depends on the argument. If you can come to some understanding or resolution, sure, keep talking. But if you're kind of going in circles and you're having trouble understanding one another's perspectives, I don't think it hurts to take a break and see if cooler heads and clearer minds kind of prevail after a good night's sleep. And it's interesting because we know that the outcome of an argument doesn't necessarily depend on the topic, but it's really dependent upon how you approach it, right? As partners, right? Are you engaging in conflict to understand one another? Are you engaging in conflict to better understand one another? Or are you engaging in conflict to convince your partner, right? Are you listening to understand? Are you just pretending to listen to wait your turn to speak? Those are are good. Because I've done all those things. And I think we've done both. We've gone to bed angry or unable to resolve Mm -hmm. a resolution. And then we've also pushed through at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, Mm -hmm. resolved an argument and gone to bed and gotten a good night's sleep. And I also remember thinking back to when we first got together, this whole, I need a break 
and not telling you how long. And that was a power game. Mm. That was a power game, man. Well, you never said that. Well, I mean, reflecting back on it now. You I dick. Th- yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, and I was being a dick because I would, I would say, and there was this, I need some time to think about this. And when I didn't give you any time, when I didn't tell you where I was going, what am I trying to accomplish? Am I trying to make you worry about me? Am I making you worry about, am I leaving? How long do I need? So you brought it up to me. I'm pretty sure where you, where you were saying, when you leave this argument, if you need time, I'm willing to give it to you, but please respect me and my situation. Tell me how long you need. Yeah. And I don't need like, you know, one hour and 15 minutes, but mm-hmm. I, I want to know, like, are we going to talk about this tonight, tomorrow, on the weekend? And if you are kind of storming out, especially, I don't at think it night. really happens at night, but um, mm-hmm. I know that like, if we've had an argument, you'll just come down to the office. It's not like you're wandering the streets generally. Also, when I come down to the office and I say, I need 15 minutes to regroup, I often go down and write out mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. Because when I put it into writing, it also brings clarity to me. And for me, that really cools me down. Yeah. That brings me from you know boiling point down to like a simmer. And I can come back to the argument in an effective way to resolve the situation, or at least resolve what I need to resolve to move forward. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about that kind of, are we arguing to understand or arguing to convince? Because when I talked about it in the interview, someone gave me some feedback and said, well, I do sometimes want to convince my partner. And that that's a part of feeling understood, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not really about being right or wrong. Of course, I just think we can't, you know, I said something that was sort of dichotomizing there, but we can't always dichotomize conversations or conflict into like universally good or bad. So I'm thinking like, for example, if we're arguing and the root cause is that you don't feel appreciated, it makes sense that you'll want your partner to see your perspective, right? And it's also possible that they do appreciate you and they just aren't showing it in a way that feels validating for you. So there is some, I don't want to say convincing, but like, I guess there is that piece where you want to feel like, no, 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 I need you to hear part of my perspective here, or I need to hear that you're really hearing what I have to say. I'll tell you my experience is that like, no matter how angry I go to bed, when I kind of calm down, like usually if I fall asleep and, you know, wake up in the night, that anger is really, any anger directed at you is dissipated, right? Like I, I want to be close to you. I want to touch you. I feel calmed by you. And we know that like just sleeping is associated with more harmonious relationships in the morning and like all these other health benefits. So I think it is okay to go to sleep when you're upset and also know that not every conflict is resolvable. Like sometimes you just have to let things go, right? If you're arguing before bed, you kind of want to ask yourself like, is continuing the conversation worth it? Like, is it worth interfering with a decent night's sleep and the way it's going to affect my health the next morning. But here here we get to the kind of the crux of the issue. When one partner wants to sleep and let things go and the other doesn't and that other person, like if they're like me, it's oftentimes because we have trouble falling asleep even on a good day, let alone in the middle of an unresolved argument. And that's why I actually think this conversation, like even between you and me, is really useful when you're not in the middle of an argument, right? So if I can talk to you about why something matters to me now when we're not in the heat of mm-hmm. frustration yeah. and anger and strife, it's so easy. So like if you're so for me, like I can't fall asleep. So I need to let you know that hey, like I, I get that you need to sleep, but I I do have trouble sleeping either during or after an argument. And so I might ask you like, can we hold hands or can we snuggle or you know, can we still be affectionate in some ways? And and I have to remind myself that an argument isn't necessarily, you know, an indication of a lack of love, but it can feel that way in the moment. And it's not your job, of course, to meet all of my needs. Like I have to figure out, okay, if I can't fall asleep, what can I do? Like, can I do a body scan? Can I do some deep breathing? Can I do some visualization? Can I get up and watch Netflix? 
But even as you're saying this, I mean, some of the stuff that you've brought up in the past, active listening. Like, am I, am I actually listening to what you have to say when you're explaining to me what's going on? Because I think, again, reflecting back on when we first got together, it's easy for me to just tune it out and go back to trying to convince you of my position in this argument rather than actively listen to what you're saying and really hear it, absorb it, and then work towards finding solutions in some sort of middle ground like so if i'm able to say to you hey babe when we fight at night and you just fall asleep i feel like you don't care as much and so like it's really hard for me to fall asleep and i can say you know hold my hand and it makes me feel better but i think it's also helpful for you to tell me like hey when i fall asleep it's not because i don't care it's because i'm super tired (laughs) all the time (laughs) it's because you're a bear Um, But my point is that if we can have this conversation now while we're not in an argument and I can say to you, hey, this is why I act the way I do. And you can say, hey, this is why I act the way I do. This is what I feel. I just think it's this kind of preventative approach. And I'm not saying like you have to hash out every situation. It's just that this has become this hot button issue after that one interview I did. People are like, no, no, no. Tell my partner that they need to stay up and resolve it because you should never go to bed angry. Or the other partner is like, no, no, no. Tell them that we need to go to sleep because cooler heads will prevail. And I think they want me to give them the answer. Of course, I don't have the answer. But I think that if I had an answer, it would be that, you know what, have a conversation about why you want the approach you want and then go from there. So it's a long, kind of long-winded answer to this this question or issue, but I hope people are resting easy (laughs) no matter what, because I know a lot of people are are struggling with sleep right now. Actually, I had a really bad dream about this big snake that was like crawling up my dress and I was calling for you. No, not that kind of snake, like an actual snake that was eating lizards. It had four lizards in its mouth and then it was coming into like get me last night. Did you hear me scream? I did because I woke up to it (laughs) and I assured you that there was not a snake in our bed. So for those listeners in... Australia or anywhere where snakes are. We have snakes here. Yeah, they're not like deadly snakes. We no, get a gardener snake or something like that. We were talking to somebody the other day about snakes in Australia. They're like, oh, most people, a lot of people die from being bitten. I mean, maybe that was an exaggeration. But... No, I remember. That's probably why I had the nightmare because it was yesterday. Yeah, we were talking about snakes and tarantulas and stuff. Yeah. And you said when we were having that conversation, I'm going to have a great sleep tonight. <laughs> I know. I was like, so guys, stop talking. 24 about hours. That. Yeah. All right, enough about us and our dreams. Hopefully that chat about going to sleep angry motivates you to maybe think about your needs and talk to your partner. Now we're going to get to the goods. Joining us now is porn personality, business owner, new mom, and poet Harper the Fox for her second time on the podcast. How you doing? Oh, so great, Jess. It's great to be back. Now you are a brand new mom. You just gave birth, right? Yeah, I gave birth two weeks and two days ago. My goodness. So how are you? How are you holding up? Is that a fair question? <laughs> that is a completely fair question. Holding up really well. It helps to have an incredibly cute little baby to to keep me going through the days. But yeah, I am currently joining you on my second cup of coffee, and uh, I've got like a sort of round uh, pillow that I'm sitting on right now because everything is still a little a little sore. <laughs> a little little bad. So yeah, so I've got my uh, my butt donut that I'm <laughs> perched on here and uh, feeling classy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, now you were pregnant, obviously. And were you able to work in the adult industry while you were pregnant? 
I was, that's something that I was actually just incredibly grateful for. I I found myself throughout my pregnancy wondering like, how do people with normal jobs navigate pregnancy and working? Because so my adult industry work at this point is primarily on OnlyFans, onlyfans.com slash Harper the Fox is me. And I am also on Chatterbait. That's been my longest running adult industry platform. I started on there in 2013. So just after the site launched, but camming on Chatterbait and working on OnlyFans allowed me so much flexibility to be able to nap when I needed to rest when I needed to, and to keep me feeling busy and engaged and connected to the things that I love to do. So that, that worked out very well. And then beyond that, the cam community was just incredibly supportive of my pregnancy. So like being able to go on Chatterbait and just post my baby registry people who watch my cam took care of nearly everything we needed. That's so cool. And I bet the models were also really supportive. Oh yeah. <laughs> my, my phone was blowing up with Twitter notifications and WhatsApp notifications from my friends in the industry. As soon as they found out that my husband and I were pregnant, they were just so excited. He and I have been together for about 10 years now. So I think for a lot of them, they were like, oh, fucking finally. (laughs) It's about time you guys had a baby. Can I ask you about Chatterbait? Because I did some work with them recently. They hosted a health and wellness week for their broadcasters. And I was a part of that. And it just seems like they put a lot of care into the community they've created. Is that your experience? Can you speak to your experience with them? You said you've been with them from the beginning and there must be a reason for that because there are many competitors on the market. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred thousand percent. I have always felt so cared for by Chatterbait. Like they, they, as a company, they do a lot to try and reach out to models to make things easy for models and to to build a really good platform that is flexible, that works reliably, that you can jump on and have fun, make some money. And yeah, I've been really fortunate, I think, especially being with them for as long as I have, that I've been able to make connections with some of the people who run the company, who do tech support for the company. So going to the Adult Entertainment Expo, for example, and connecting with them there has led to some really amazing opportunities. I was able to... uh, interface with them directly before creating the first cartoon cam girl. That was something I was involved with a few years ago. What's that? So, uh, so that was an account called hentai live. And that was my husband and I always try to use our flexibility in our schedules to build new skills and to grow as artists. So a few years ago, I learned how to use a piece of software that lets you do a live lip sync with an animated character and then figured out how to stream that through on Chatterbait. So we were able to consult with Chatterbait's legal team because there were all sorts of questions about like, how do you verify the ID of a cartoon? And is this going to be okay? But they greenlit it and it was very, very successful. It was, uh, <laughs> it sent some shockwaves through the community when, uh, when it hit. But yeah, the, the show was real cute animated cartoon girl who uh, could take her top off and jiggle her titties at the camera. And we had a a voice actress doing that. But yeah, so that was one of the things that knowing, knowing some of the people at Chatterbait really helped me to do. And then they've uh, invited me to go as uh, essentially an ambassador on some of their expo trips. I got to go to New York a couple of years ago and yeah, they just they treated me like a princess. I loved every second of it. That makes me so happy to hear. Now, let me ask you about camming. How did you get into camming? Cause you, you had some sort of a live feed. I remember in the beginning, you were sort of a 
ahead of the curve, a little bit cutting edge, uh, and then you moved over to camming. And I know a lot of people are interested in camming and you've mentioned that it's very flexible and very fun and you make some money, but it's also really hard work. Yeah. So uh, Jess, let me tell you, especially in my early twenties, I was an exhibitionist slut. So <laughs> it, uh, it really led naturally into camming. I, I, at the time I was just sort of dipping into what was available on the internet. I was doing things like submitting naked pictures of myself to other people's Tumblr blogs and using like Omegle and chat roulette to get some of that exhibitionist energy out. But eventually it, I, I just learned like, oh, webcams are a thing that exists and can be used to make money. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, at first I dabbled in live Jasmine, which is a very, very different format. And then Chatterbait was at the time a brand new site that back in those days, it was just like the wild west. There weren't as many restrictions. So there were people doing just insane things. And I was one of those people doing insane things. And like what? I want to know. Okay. <laughs> Give so, me a visual. <laughs> okay. So the first summer that I started camming, I was living with a couple other just fun, sexy friends. And my now husband, he and I were dating and living in this house all together. And we were on Chatterbait and just somehow ended up setting what in hindsight was a pretty low tip goal to uh, strip naked, open our front door, run into the street in front of our house, which was kind of a busy street in the town we were living in. So run naked into the street yelling respectively, I am the king of Scotland and I am the queen of Scotland and run back to the house. So we just, uh, yeah, we, we hit that goal and just spent a while staring out our front window. Like, oh my God, when is there going to be a break in traffic where we can do this? <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, we did. So I'm, yeah, I, I often have, a uh, moments thinking back to my younger self and going young lady, that was extremely irresponsible. Like what <laughs> if there had been police or, or something there, but man, it was fun. I love that. I love that. It's uh, you know, a little bit of your personality, right? Like it's ex exhibitionist part, it's the adventurous part, it's playfulness piece. And yes, of course it's about the money, but there are so many other pieces to this. So tell me what people get wrong about camming and cam models or cam broadcasters. Oh, that's a fantastic question. So I think the number one thing that people on the outside assume is that you can just be a reasonably cute human being, turn on your camera and make a gazillion dollars immediately. That that might have been more true in the very, very early days when not so many people were aware of it and doing it. But at this point, there is just a huge amount of skill and knowledge that goes into being successful. And I guarantee for any of the people you see who have gotten any kind of notoriety or who have really intense financial success, if you ask them, how do you think about your business? How do you approach your hustle? What is your thinking surrounding what you offer? They are going to have detailed answers. It's not just a like, oh, I just sign on and show my cleavage and it works out. It, these are business people who put thought and effort into sales strategies and marketing and, and everybody runs it in a different way. So like you were saying, sort of channeling my exhibitionism and fun loving spirit that has really dictated over the years, what I choose to offer and what my price points are, because in, in an industry like camming, you have to find things that are sustainable, that you can feel good about doing day after day, that, that you can 
offer it and deliver reliably. And those things aren't going to be the same for everybody. Do you have any advice for people who are interested in exploring the field, like where they should begin? That is another really good question. Um, I think, I think mostly getting your own mindset, right. And then just trying it out, seeing what it's like to be on camera, trying to give yourself a lot of grace and let it be a very low pressure thing. I think it would be very difficult and very stressful if you were in a position of, I absolutely have to make X, Y, Z dollars. And I'm signing on to do that. Signing on with more of an explorative mindset and learning how the site works, learning how the interface works and starting to get comfortable with what you are and are not willing to offer. I think just sort of getting in there and trying it is the best thing to do. But if you are a more research-minded person, I'm very much that way. If I'm starting something new, I, I look up as many articles as I can find about it and, and do a ton of reading. There are so many really talented cam personalities who have written getting started articles and who offer tips and tricks and who talk about how to choose a good camera, how to set up your lighting, things that until you're in there and doing it, you wouldn't necessarily think of as important or know how to, how to choose those things. You know, I'm curious, how important do you think it is to do what you love, to be really authentic to yourself? Because I know when we spoke last, you talked about the fact that you were just having sex and filming it with your partner. And that's a big part of how your brand blew up. Do you think that's important for cam folks? Or do you think that it's also okay to just play a role? I, I'm really curious because I, as someone who's sort of in the public eye, you know, they're always, you know, in marketing, they're always talking about authenticity, but I can only give so much. Like I have to, I can give a little bit of, of myself, but I can't give all of myself. And I'm sure that holds me back. And I'm okay with that because I'm not here to, you know, conquer the universe. I do what I'm comfortable with, but how important do you think authenticity is? I love that question because I, I think that's something where people maybe put too much pressure on themselves. And I, I think you've kind of nailed it in the way you frame that question that there, there's something that's really lovely and empowering about being able to bring your authentic self. And when you can do that, oftentimes that makes your hustle more sustainable because it is true to things that you really love to do. But there is a balance where if you're giving, especially for something so vulnerable as adult work, where you're showing every square inch of your body in some cases and opening yourself up so much in, in a physical way, you can cross a line where it starts to feel like you're giving too much of yourself and too much of you is exposed. So I think finding a balance where there are things that you sort of keep for yourself that you don't necessarily share. And, and then beyond that, absolutely. Like you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to be authentic with everything. Playing a role is a huge part of it. And I think that for whether it's a blockbuster movie or a, a real fine piece of porn, acting <laughs> is such a huge part of it. And, and it's, it's important there. If I only ever shared and did the things that I personally was interested in, I would have had such a narrow scope of what I produced because I would have never tried things that were new to me or intimidating or felt weird or sometimes even gross. Like, but especially early on, being willing to take some custom requests and make things because people were just asking for them all the time and exploring those areas. I've, 
I've made plenty of things that I really loved in surprising ways that I never would have expected. And I've made things that I would not choose to make again. <laughs> I've, I've heard that from so many performers and broadcasters that when they get these custom requests, they're like, oh, that's so, that feels very off-putting. But then when they try it, they're like, oh, shoot, I'm kind of into that. So there's this whole mm -hmm. uh, learning opportunity that folks who aren't in the industry don't get. Now, as a porn personality, you have always talked about the multifaceted components of performers, right? That you're not just a performer, you're so many different things. Obviously you have all these different roles. And one of those roles is talking about mental health within the adult industry. And you have a new project called jewelry.sex. Can you tell us about jewelry.sex and some of the fundraising you're doing with this new project? I would love to. So jewelry.sex is a brand new business. Uh, back before the pandemic, my husband and I got into goldsmithing. And as we were exploring that, and as I was learning about this industry and, and exploring around and looking at what other people make, I found that a lot of jewelry kind of looks the same. There isn't a whole lot of sexy, fun, provocative pieces. There aren't a whole lot of those in the jewelry space. And as time went on, I found myself thinking, man, wouldn't it be fun to, to make like a solid gold pendant that says slut on it. And when I became pregnant, I was like, oh, I'd love to have like a solid gold milf necklace. That would be so fun to wear out, out and about. And those things just really delight and tickle me. So I thought, man, this would be such a fun thing to bring to the community that I've been a part of for so many years. So I put that together, jewelry.sex went live. And almost immediately after jewelry.sex went live was the OnlyFans event where they threatened to ban porn. And I just saw my entire Twitter feed. It was like watching a mass mental collapse, just seeing so many people who I'm either peripherally aware of or care about very deeply going to a very dark place of, oh my God, this is how I support myself. I feel abandoned. I feel alone. What am I going to do? And observing that, I, I decided, you know, I am very, very fortunate to, to have some resources to be relatively secure myself. And this business is brand new. I don't know what it's going to be. Let's use a hundred percent of these profits to do something good and to make money for something good. So I decided to donate for 2021, a hundred percent of profits from this business to a group called Pineapple Support. And Pineapple Support offers free and low cost mental health care to any and all active sex workers. So I think they are just an outstanding organization. And that for, for the time being is what jewelry.sex is doing. Love it. Appreciate it so much. Um, and I'm familiar with pineapple support. I've had some friends who have volunteered with them and I know they're doing amazing work. So how can we support jewelry.sex right now, knowing that the proceeds are going to pineapple support? So going jewelry.sex is both the name of the company and the domain. So just typing jewelry.sex into your browser, you can find everything we're offering. So we do have some fine gold pieces that are high end. And for, for those with a big budget who are looking to spoil themselves or someone they love, getting one of those pieces would be an amazing way to, to support. I just launched a new product for people that I think most anyone would be able to, uh, to jump in on and, and enjoy. And that is the, you are never alone lucky coin. So that is 
Oh, yep. I just, just pulled it up and just showing it to me. Yeah. So that is a, uh, a sterling silver piece. It's got the pineapple featured right on it, which is kind of a, a cute emblem of the sex community. For those who don't know it, the pineapple is one of the really, really common safe words that people use for, uh, for kinky play. So, so it's got the, the pineapple on it. The coin says you are never alone. And then on the back, it says love heals. And this coin is nickel sized in a loving nod to the webcam community because tokens are five cents. So rain in nickels. Uh, and this coin is, uh, is $35.99 plus shipping. So much, much more accessible for a broad audience than, uh, than some of our higher end pieces. But yeah, like I said, a hundred percent of profits are going towards pineapple support. And I'm really excited to be offering these and sharing the love. It's something intended to, uh, to keep maybe like in your purse or in your pocket and just give a little rub if you're feeling alone. And just remember that there are so many other people out there who are doing what you do, who are facing the same questions and challenges that you face and that there is help out there. There is support out there when you need it. But why is it so important to support the mental health of sex workers. And I'm think I'm curious, especially for folks who are listening, who are therapists, who are sex educators, so who are in the sexuality field, uh, many of us rely on sex workers, learn from sex workers, refer to sex workers. And this is something we've, I've talked about when I do therapist training, because there is such a negative attitude, a stigma, judgment towards sex work, yet you have therapists who are prescribing porn. We're saying, oh, this can actually help your relationship. But we are so hung up on dividing ourselves and saying, but we're not sex workers, right? And we're afraid to refer to sex workers for, you know, sometimes it has to do with ethics and boards and whatnot, but we refer to sex workers all the time when we talk about different resources. So why is it so important for people to consider supporting organizations like Pineapple Support through your work, Jewelry.Sex, and, and in any way that they can? Well, when you're talking about sex worker mental health, there is so much in that, in that can of worms. So on a fundamental level, no matter who the person is that you're, you're talking about, who has chosen to enter this line of work, it can feel incredibly isolating. And for the reasons you just mentioned that it's hard to just bring up in casual conversation, what you do and have people understand it. It's for people outside of the sex work community. It's such a persistent thing. I have over the years found myself just dreading meeting new people because of the inevitable question, what do you do? And not knowing how to answer it in a way that's going to make me feel comfortable where the person I'm talking to will feel comfortable. So I think as a sex worker, most anyone is going to experience that sensation of feeling like they need to hide themselves or obscure themselves or, or omit things that, things that are true and important for them. And sometimes I think you end up feeling like sort of a shell of a personality because there's so much richness in your daily life and the skills that you pursue and what you do. But when people ask you about it, you draw a blank on what you can talk about. So that I think is an experience that is common to nearly everybody in the sex work community. And then beyond that, I think there's just a reality in the fact that for all intensities and levels of sex work, you find a lot of people who have really struggled in their lives. I think there is a disproportionately high number of people who have suffered some sort of abuse or who have deeply negative self images. And that's not everybody. I don't want to make that a, a stereotype, but 
it is, it is there and it is common. And those people who are already feeling hurt, who have experienced hurt, who have experienced trauma, maybe sex work is the best way they can support themselves, but they end up feeling more isolated and more alone. So having organizations where, where they can talk to a therapist and, and get perspective on their struggles and their challenges and use that kind of support. And even, um, pineapple support offers like virtual support groups on all kinds of topics. So I know recently they had something for trans performers and, and trans people in the sex work community to connect with each other and talk about the sort of specific challenges of that. They recently had a support group aimed at navigating difficult family relationships, which is another thing a ton of sex workers mm-hmm. deal with is how do you talk with your family about this? How do you make, how do you stay close with your family when so often the answer is like, oh, I don't want to hear about that. Like, I can't think about my daughter, sister, son, brother doing this kind of thing. So just keep your mouth shut. Right. And that hurt that you talk about hurt and trauma, it may not have preceded sex work. It can result from the stigma and it's not the sex work itself. It's the folks, it's the way people in our lives who are supposed to love us respond to the work that you're doing. So I've spoken to so many people who have had therapists for years who are in sex work and they haven't even told their therapists that they're doing the work. Can you imagine leaving that huge piece out of it? Well, and therapists don't necessarily have training in supporting sex workers, right? Like we're seeing- more diversity of training in terms of supporting different, you know, populations who have been forced to the margins of society and sex works continues to be left out of that equation. So, you know, when you look at pineapple support, these are folks who are sex worker positive. These are hopefully folks, you know, I'm sure folks who have training specifically in supporting folks in the industry. So uh, I'm glad that we're getting that, hopefully getting their name out there. Hopefully if there are therapists listening and they want to support or volunteer, uh, pineapple support is a great place uh, to start. And of course, uh, if folks have a few dollars lying around and want to offer support and make sure that therapy becomes more accessible to folks working in the adult field, jewelry.sex. You can go check out one of those coins. And if you have a gazillion, if you have even more money, you can check out the 24 karat uh, <laughs> jewelry. I saw the prices on there. Before we let you go, I know you wear many hats. So you are a business owner, you are a new mom, you are a porn personality, and you are a poet. You have a new book coming out. Can you let us know what it's called and where to find it? Yeah. So the, the working title is a grateful winter. I I haven't finalized the uh the title yet, but it'll be available through the URL harperthefoxbooks.com. That'll be coming out very soon and I'm so excited about it. The over the last year after the the pandemic started and it had been going on for month after month after month, things started to feel just sort of everywhere you look a little dismal and difficult. There's just a lot of people talking about fear and anxiety and and being isolated and alone. So a little over a year ago, I decided to start a daily practice of writing at least one poem every day on the theme of gratitude, which is incredibly important to me. I think practicing gratitude in your daily life is one of the greatest things you can do for your mental health. So recently I completed a year of that project and I'm going to collect those poems season by season and release those. So winter is coming first. It'll be out in time for this year's winter. And I am just beyond thrilled to be able to offer 
offer another book. So yeah, harperthefoxbooks.com will be the place to find it and it should be out incredibly soon. Awesome. We will be looking for it. Now, I know you're only two and a half weeks in, not even two and a half weeks into motherhood. Are folks asking you about going back to work already? Uh, do you have any feelings about working as a new mom in the field, performing broadcasting? Uh, yeah, I am definitely getting the occasional person asking about me coming back to work. I think oftentimes those are people who just haven't kept very close track of where I am. Because one of them, uh, somebody asked me if I was getting on cam the day after I gave birth. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't think this person is aware that I literally gave birth like 24 hours ago. <laughs> to a human being. <laughs> yes. Uh, like, Populating like, the world. I'm not leaving my couch, much less turning on my computer. But yeah, I've started to get people making requests and wondering when I'll be back to the live cam particularly. But when it comes to adult work at large, OnlyFans.com slash Harper the Fox has had zero breaks in content releases. I have been, uh, I was planning ahead during my pregnancy and that platform has had daily, if not multiple times daily content releases through the entire pregnancy on the day I was in labor, day and a half I was in labor and for, uh, and for all the days since then. So OnlyFans.com slash Harper the Fox is as active as ever. And I've been getting back into replying to more messages on there and, and giving that time. Fundamentally, when it comes to returning to work after having my baby, it just feels really good. There, like I, I am in a position to be able to spend a huge amount of time with my new baby and have the, the breastfeeding relationship and just stare at him for most of the day. <laughs> But then to be able to just casually pick up my phone and check in on my work and things that make me feel happy and fulfilled and like a very complete version of myself. That's something that I've been meditating on going into motherhood is I think it's very easy. And I hear a lot of mothers talk about feeling like they've lost themselves to the role of mother and that the things that they used to love to do have become more difficult to do. So I've tried to mindfully approach keeping that balance of being the best mom that I can be and being present for my child and also making time to do the things that make me feel complete. And that to me is an important part of motherhood as well as modeling what I would hope for my child to achieve one day and a healthy balance of responsibilities and, and passions is something that I would love for, for this tiny human to one day grow up and achieve. An amazing model. You know, one thing I didn't ask that I'm sure people are curious about when you were pregnant, were you getting special requests around pregnancy? Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's something that I, I was aware of that was a really common fetish. <laughs> It's uh, on Chatterbait. You can search by hashtag to find rooms with certain kinds of people, certain attributes, and pregnant is always like one of the top three. I knew to anticipate that, that people were going to really love that. And yeah, by far the most common thing that people ask for is show milk baby, some kind of lactation content, which uh, I, I found myself in like month three of my pregnancy needing to explain over and over again, like that's not happening yet. It's going to be a <laughs> while before that happens. 
That's but, for the future. So, oh, so lactation was a big, a big request. Anything around oh, yeah. birthing? Like were people asking for anything around birthing? I had one person ask me if I was going to like make and release a birth video, hmm. which for me, that is, that is a very personal, very intimate thing. So I am not planning to do that. But I also understand that it is a fascinating and intense and scary and beautiful thing that it's, it's really interesting to me for as much violence and gore and craziness as you can see in movies and TV, childbirth is something you never see uncensored. You, you see such a narrow view of it and it's shockingly hard for something that is literally how every single one of us got onto this planet. I had never seen childbirth before I became pregnant and started deliberately seeking out videos to, to show me pieces of the process. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for, for people to ask about videos of the childbirth that a hundred percent made sense to me, but I, I will be keeping that experience personal, but uh, it was sort of a running joke for a while. Cause I was on chatterbait up until month nine of my pregnancy and people just kept saying like oh my god what if you go into labor while you're on cam (laughs) what if you have this baby on cam that would be headlines that might be like more mainstream headlines (laughs) yeah that that would be quite intense and and that is not how it played out well the good news is there's an off button (laughs) you can always throw a sheet over the camera close the laptop sort of thing yep but i i was telling people you know if if i start having like my first contractions while i'm on cam i'm just gonna roll with it like there's there's gonna be a while before things start really happening so exactly and you learn that lesson after a day and a half of labor yes yeah my Mine was uh, a little unusually long, but it all worked out. Healthy, healthy baby and an unmedicated labor, which I'm very proud of. That was, that was a target of mine. And I, I don't think I have ever in my life felt stronger and more powerful than the culmination of that process, having the baby placed on my stomach and, and realizing like, holy shit, my, my inner animal took over and I did that. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us, sharing your story. Thank you for the work you're doing with jewelry.sex in support of pineapple support. And hopefully folks will follow along, check out all of your new content and also offer support if you can to support people working in the field of sexuality, sex workers and mental health. So thanks so much, Harper the Fox. Thank you, Jess. It is such a joy to talk with you. And thank you for listening wherever you're at. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.